Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. This is episode 107. That means that when we get to the What's in a Number segment, later in the program, we will be discussing the number 07 and its relevance to Oswego Speedway and Supermodified history. And boy, is that number relevant, is it not? Oh, my. We'll have some fun with that one. Um this is our post-Classic Weekend show, uh, the first of obviously several, um, because there's a lot to discuss. But uh, And so what is on this show, well, besides the what's in the number, we do have the uh, Super Modified Classic winner, Dave Schillick Jr., is going to be joining us here in a little while. And uh, we'll talk through the weekend with him, uh, Super Modified-wise. And uh, about his win, and uh, boy, it's um, it's like a like I I thought when it happened, it and we talked about it. It's uh, you know the odds get even after a while, don't they? He lost one running out of fuel, and now he won one because somebody else did. And uh, we'll talk about that with him. And we're not going to have Camden on this show. I just um, I didn't even ask him to be honest. I, I mean, gosh, he and his dad had such a crappy weekend um in the end and and i i'll get to all of that in due course um but you know it just obviously was difficult so uh decided we would uh, give cam a bit of a break and uh, hopefully he'll join us on the next show which will be next week we we really want to i really want to get this one out um quickly this week because uh i have a uh, race to attend and work at in georgia uh, this weekend, WK cart race. So, um, looking forward to that. And, uh, but you know, that's a multi-day event. So trying to condense a whole week worth of, uh, work and production and all that into a shorter time span. So, um, we'll obviously have ongoing discussion about, uh, the classic and Oswego and all of that over the next few shows. All right. So, um, let's start first of all, <laughs> I got to share something funny. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, I think like a lot of you know that I've, I've kind of been scarce on Facebook lately. I, you know, I make the exception for weekends like this when um, there's something big going on that I know my audience, you know, enjoys discussing or whatever. And I want to be able to, to, to do that. So I jump on and then, you know, disappear again for a while, basically because, you know, I'm just tired of the crap that's on there. Um, but uh, it, it, I think it was Tim Nye or or one of my friends anyway, racing friends, uh, happened to have a post out that said, uh, you know, back from Facebook jail. And Joey Payne jumps in and says, I got my account suspended while I was racing in the classic. What the heck? How do you do that? I, 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 after I stopped laughing, I, re, I responded back with a comment that basically reminded him that you're not supposed to text and drive in New York. So 
It's just only Joey Payne. Get your account suspended while you're racing in the classic. I love it. Okay. So uh, speaking of classic, that, by the way, it that will not be reported on any other media except for this show. Okay. Only on this show are you going to hear that story. You will not hear that story on uh, anywhere else or see it anywhere else but this show. Because uh, <laughs> we like the sublime, right? Okay, so let's talk about classic. First of all, um, man, congratulations to all of the winners. Um, and we're going to go through these races one at a time. And I, in this segment, I'm just going to offer my thoughts. Um, and because we, you know, we we do have the the interview with Dave, and and then we've got what's in the number. So I'm going to save my actual classic, the super classic thoughts until after the Dave Schillick interview, and I will start the final segment with that and then go into what's in the number. So I want to start with uh, the first two races of the day on Sunday, but but even before I do that, I, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of you saw the video update that I did on Friday after the time trials. That was, I want to start doing more of that, and, I, and it's just a lot, of, a lot of that for me is just, working it into my schedule and between trying to get the magazine up and running that we're launching this fall. Um, hope all of you will subscribe by the way, it will have super modified coverage in it, hopefully in every issue. Um, certainly enough stories to do that. So it's a quarterly print and digital magazine. We'll tell you about it later, but, um, go to, if you want, go to, go to steeringwellnation.com and, uh, there's a big old subscri- subscription box right at the top. Um, it's a good deal. Five issues, twenty nine ninety five. Um, you get all four issues next year, plus the bonus issue from this year, if you are one of the first thousand subscribers, because we are only printing a thousand of the first issue. That's it. So you get a print and an enhanced digital. And basically by enhanced, I mean, it isn't just going to be a mirror of the print. We're going to put some additional audio and video bonus content in it and including a quarterly podcast of some sort. We're going to cover everything that we that I, you know, that I enjoy, basically supers, go karts. Legends cars will have some modified coverage in there. Um, dirt track, road course. We're going to try to dig up some really cool stories. There's so many stories in this sport. Um, not only the history of it, but also just in general, you know, we, I, I always, uh, you, you guys know, I love doing interviews. I love learning about people and letting people tell their story. So this, this magazine is going to be really different. I think from a lot of what you normally see, we will have some race recaps in there. But we're even going to do those a little differently. It's not going to be sort of the, you know, long form, um, you know, have all the like if we do a race recap from a go kart race, we're going to get into the race itself and not, you know, you won't see all of the rundowns in there with, you know, 15 classes or whatever. So we're we're going to we're going to really emphasize storytelling in this magazine. And um, Keith Champagne will be doing a lot of the cart stuff which I'm really excited about. And so, um, you know, we, uh, I've got a good team that's, that's um, kind of surrounding this and I'm just the lucky guy who gets to uh, gets to enjoy writing a lot of really uh, cool stories. So I'm very excited. So I hope you'll all subscribe again, 2995, five issues, just go to the website. Um, and, uh, hit the box on the homepage. It'll take you to 
the uh, magazine's page. You can see everything and subscribe there. Sorry, I didn't mean for that to turn into a plug. But anyhow, it was more just clarification. So 350 Classic um, was the first race of the day. And wow, (laughs) that's all I could say. Um, The start of this race, I was not expecting, and, and I don't mean this in any way to be negative, but you just... I mean, it, who would have expected Robbie the Wrench, Robbie Worth, Wrencher, as you know, he's known. Um, who would have expected this young man who has been in this division for about 15 minutes to lead about half the race? He and Kyle Perry were the show um, for a good part of this race. And I think that's, that's pure evidence that this class is it's just poised to be the star class of the speedway for years to come if if they you know they don't mess it up um you you've got a i mean i think he's only 15 i think um and leads half the race looks like a pro and of course uh you've got you know you've got some really veteran drivers not say old <laughs> jeffrey battles what like 21 or 22 you know um chase locks about 16 um but you've got some real veteran drivers brian sobis is a little older than 22 he was 22 once um you know so you you knew eventually those drivers were going to come on and challenge right but just to watch Robbie and, and, and Kyle, who's only in year two. Now, Kyle's had, again, had some previous racing experience on the dirt before coming to the 350s. But um, I would would think this would be at least, um, I was trying to think back to the classic last year. And I don't remember Kyle running as well as he did this year. And it, um, so certainly his finest classic weekend hour, he just did a great job. Um and then eventually, of course, you get Brian Sobis, who comes on and, um, you know, and, and takes the lead. Uh, Josh Sokolik looked good till he ended up in the wall. Um, you had uh, Talon Hawksby and, and Jason Spaulding get together early in the race, and um, they were both out. And But this race went, there were, those were the only two yellows, um, I, I believe, uh, unless I missed one in my notes here, but I think those are the only two yellows last year was just yellow flag fever. I mean, it was just, there were more hankies than an Oakland Raiders game last year, but um, this race much better. And it was a great race. Jeffrey battle came from well beyond the invert and ended up uh, catching Brian late in the race and came up on the lap car. John Tessereri. Now we're not using the passing flag anymore. So John obviously doesn't know the leaders are there and uh, they caught him at really the wrong time. I mean, you, you, you catch when you catch a, a lap car going into the corner, it's, you know, unless you, unless you sort of, you know, go around him on the outside, generally it's hard to, in this case, um, Jeffrey just sort of went for it and ran over the storm drain. I mean, he was, if he was any lower, he he would have ran over the first turn corner man. Um, and, and 
just squeezed, shoehorned uh, his car between himself and, and you know, Brian and, and, and John <clears throat> and took the lead and then drove away. So, you know, obviously, you know, some folks were upset because the lap car, you know, should have, you know, should have had the passing flag, should have been black flag, whatever. It's going way too slow, whatever. Um, you know, I look, I, I prefer the passing flag. I don't know why. I don't know whose idea it was to quit using it. Um, I don't know why they anybody would think that was a good idea, but, um, you know, I'm not driving and it's the same for everybody. So it can't be an excuse. It, it just can't. Um, it was just pure timing and circumstance. And it was one whale of a move by Jeffrey Battle. Um, Brian did a great job to finish second. I, even if Tessereria wasn't there, um, you know, some, obviously some will probably disagree, but um, I think Jeffrey would have passed Brian. It wasn't the last lap. I think Jeffrey would have passed Brian anyway and ended up winning the race. I think Jeffrey was just that much faster in the at the end that he would have found his way by Brian one way or another. But, of course, we'll never know. Um, you know, but Brian did a great job to finish second. It was a good race to the, to the end. Kyle Perry, um, can't say enough about that young man, just a, a, a super race, no pun intended, to finish third. Um, Chase Locke, um, actually he just didn't have a, I mean, he ended up with a fourth place finish. It was a, it was a great comeback, but, um, you know, had some sort of issue in the beginning. I don't know if they just missed the setup or had an issue, but he, he pitted, uh, at one of the earlier cautions came into the pits and they made some changes, whatever, and sent him back out and he charged through the field to finish fourth. So it was a nice recovery for, for, for him, but, um, you know, he never did contend for the win, which I think we all thought would have probably, if you're betting, you would have bet on, you know, some sort of, if, it, if you're in a horse race and it's win place and show, uh, some combination of chase lockjet battle and Brian Sobis, right? So it pretty much played out that way with Kyle Perry being sort of the spoiler and chase not never having a chance to race for the win because he, he, he had whatever issues he had. Um, Eddie Whitcomb Jr. Finished in fifth um and you can see the full finish elsewhere i'm sure swigglespeedway.com has it so i won't read read through it but um i will say that the robbie the wrench ended up sixth it was a great run for for him um and i think i saw where he's going to run that class exclusively next year and run for rookie of the year uh and i would say that um if he has some some time more time to practice with the car and you know in the preseason or whatever he's gonna he's gonna be a contender because he just looked really really strong i i can't say enough for him and here's the here's the thing about robbie worth that um i don't think you can underestimate all right he's only 15 and he doesn't have a lot of driving experience but here's what he does have he has more mechanical experience working on race cars than a lot of drivers he's racing against. That part of it right there is, you know, is is going to make him, I think, better as a driver in a hurry because it's not just a case of being able to talk about, you know, tight, loose, whatever. 
Robbie knows how the car works. Now he obviously the 350 is new, but um, but I think he's probably worked on. You know, they had you know for for Mike um, uh, Mike Bruce when he was when they were together, they had the 350s. So I'm sure he's worked on them. Um, you know, he just knows how they work. So he's going to be able to diagnose the problem and what the solution needs to be for himself. He's going to give far better feedback than a lot of other younger drivers his age. That can't be discounted because that will help him uh, kind of get the, the mental programming of driving the car down faster. Um, so, you know, that that young man could be uh, could be a really, really strong racer. Uh, in a fair hurry next year in that class. And I think he's going to be uh, a very popular racer at the Speedway for a long time. So great job, Rencher. That was that was fun to watch. Um, and congratulations to Jeff Battle. We'll try to get Jeff on uh, on a on a future show here again. We we I kind of had to do this quickly. And um, Dave always, you know, responds. And, and uh, I sort of just it was right after the race, I immediately time trial or time trial i immediately texted him and uh just said hey can you you know can you jump on tomorrow and he's like sure so um you know we'll get uh oh we're gonna try to get jeffrey and i'd like to get danny k if he'll do it um and uh and and get all three of the winners on so um sbs classic speaking of danny k so this is just weird for me and and it's it's interest it's an interesting dynamic you know you 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 sometimes get one driver who's kind of the dominant driver right and nobody can touch him with a 10-foot pole but it's weird when you have a dominant driver and then another dominant driver who can't can't it doesn't seem to be able to to beat that dominant driver but can be dominant over everyone else and then you have everyone else right it's like three you have three situations there like an a b and c so 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 danny k um seems to be heads and shoulders better than everybody else in that class that runs weekly right but when mike bond shows up even though mike's been working on the 23 or whatever um you know mike obviously (laughs) you know and i'm sure his experience is certainly a part of it and and whatever they're doing with that car it just you know, it just goes. So Danny hasn't, he's, he had two shots this year and he, I don't, he was not going to beat Mike Bond in the, in this race. Mike started behind him and, um, actually, you know, went by him and, uh, took the lead in 14 laps and basically was gone. I mean, there was nobody that was going to beat him, Danny, unless, you know, the car broke or, he made a mistake, which he did. You know, he he came out of came out of the corner and just had. I don't know. Um, I mean, the you know, this is where TV. You know, they they don't always and it's again, and this is not being negative. It's just chance. They they don't always get the perfect angle, and um, but it looked it looked like Mike made it tried to go three wide to the outside to go by Robbie Worth, who was racing next to another car. I don't remember who the other car was, but um, that's a no-no. It's just not going to, that's, that's as Jackie Stewart would say, that's a no-no. You, you, you just, I don't, 
it's one of those rare times when you see a veteran like Mike just make a mistake and, and uh, or, you know, maybe something else was going on that we couldn't, that I couldn't see. But at any rate, um, he and Robbie touched and it triggered an accident that reminded me an awful lot of the accident that Nolan Swift had with Denny Wheeler all the way back in 1975 in the port city. It looked almost exactly identical. Um, man, it was just, uh, it was, it was, that was a hard crash and, and, uh, glad that both drivers are okay. Um, that was a tough way for, for Mike to, to go out. And, and it was, um, you know, it certainly was really bad for, for Robbie. Cause I mean, he was just kind of a victim and, and he, um, he, he, that, that car was both, both ends of that car were, were a, a giant mess. Um, you know, Mike's front end was pretty much wiped out, I think, but uh, Robbie got both ends cause he kind of got spun around and ended up on top of, um, Mike's right side and, took i think the brunt of the you know the 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 wall and and again thank god for the foam swifty and denny didn't have that in 75 and they both went to the hospital so um that was uh thank god for foam blocks again um but yeah that was a tough one so once mike was out then danny basically had no problems i mean there was nobody that that could could run with danny that car all year i mean there have only been three winners this year and two of them were danny and mike so <laughs> um you know they're they're just um they're, there's like i said there seems to be a b and c um at at this point and and um i don't know if how that changes i mean the, the everybody else is going to have to go back to the drawing board and figure out some way to 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 get another tenth to two tenths out of their cars um because mike and danny have this thing buttoned up tight between the two of them pretty much so um but it was nonetheless it was um it was a good race and uh great to see greg o'connor get a a a, a strong second place griffin miller was third to complete the podium um and the other highlight of that race for me was tim proud um, Tim started 24th, I think, or 23rd, um, way in the back <laughs> at any rate. And, oh my gosh, what a drive he was. Uh, let me see. He was up to fifth, um, at one point, I think he got to fifth or sixth before he, he crashed. And, and that was another one where, you know, they didn't quite get the whole thing. So I don't know what set that up. And, um, you know, again, I wasn't gonna, um, I hope that Tim's okay. It seemed like he was favoring his left wrist or his left hand, um, after the, the, the crash. So I hope he's all right. Um, you know, I, I, I hadn't heard from cam to, to know, but, uh, like I said, they had a crappy weekend. So I'm sure they <laughs> probably both of them went somewhere today and, uh, either sat by a pool or, um, you know, sat in a bar or something. <laughs> it was just not a good weekend, but, um, I don't know if Tim broke loose or, um, I know there was another car. Uh, I don't know who the other car was. Um, but I know there was another car and so I don't know if they touched or whatever happened, but, um, that was a shame because that was easily a top five for him. Um, I don't think the way the race played out that he was going to have a chance to win, but, um, 
you know, surely would have been a, you know, top five run. And man, it's, it's amazing to watch him. I mean, he's, he's been in that car, you know, a couple of times this year to Swiggo and, and, you know, to, he, he went out, won a race. So, you know, he, he, uh, he certainly is, he, he's proven that, that he can, you know, he can contend up front and, you know, if he didn't have to start so far back, who knows, but, um, so that was a, a great job by, uh, by Tim proud to come from the back and, um, let's see. I think that's uh, and and also Cam, uh, Cam, uh, yeah, Camden. See, um, Cameron Rowe is the other driver I wanted to mention too, real quick. He he was uh, up front for uh, for quite a bit, and it was actually uh, right after the Tim Proud crash. Um, no, sorry, right after the uh, crash between Bond and the O four of worth um he was in second place at that point and he inherited second um ran in the top three for uh for uh, a good bit and uh i think he and danny got together on a restart i'm not sure or they they, they came close at any rate and so um but cameron did a really nice job that and and i love that card i love the red nice looking car tyler Schulich also Double duty for him did a nice job in the um, in the SBS car running in the top five basically all of the race and um, then doing a, a good job in the 47 super as well until he ended up uh, I think he ended up crashing um, I think a wheel might have did the wheel come off I think um, look at my notes here yeah I think uh, yeah a uh, wheel came off yeah so um, that was right toward the end of the race. So he did a nice job, and you know, just uh, uh, again, it was a a good race, and um, you know, great turnout of of cars for that class, and I hope that it it just gets stronger as we go into twenty three. That class um is just a scant bit away from you know being over a full field. So you know, I would love to see that class get back to where it was upwards of you know, 25, 30 cars a week. Cause, um, I think that would, you know, that'd be a great show. So congrats to everybody, um, in that, uh, in that division. And, you know, that's, uh, like I said, I'll save the, my, my breakdown of the classic until, uh, after the Schulich interview that's coming up and we'll, we'll transition from that into our what's in the number, but, um, too good, I don't want to call them warm-up shows, but two two good earlier shows there um, that led to the International Classic. Um, and, you know, just sitting here thinking that um, I don't know how it didn't rain. Uh, it Every forecast I looked at called for rain on Sunday. It was honestly amazing that it didn't rain. Um, it surely did here in, down in uh, Charlotte area. Um, and they had a little bit at Darlington too. Um, Saturday they had a monsoon there and <laughs> it, it showed up here yesterday and, um, and then again today, but, um, so I'm glad that the weather held out. Uh, we're going to step aside and take a break. And when we come back, we'll have Dave Schillick jr. And then we'll, uh, 
have uh, a look at the classic and um, we'll talk about what's in the number and who knows what else between now and then. Um, maybe Joey Payne will um, get unsuspended before the end of the show. We'll be back with more of the inside groove right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to episode 107 of the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. Joining us via the hotline now is uh, Dave Schulich Jr., our 2022 uh, Budweiser International Classic winner for the third time now. And uh, Dave, it's great to have you back on the show. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Congratulations on a big win for you and Chris and everybody on the team. Um, surprise. Yeah, <laughs> I think we we're all surprised. I was as surprised as everyone else. And, uh, you know, it's uh, Michael's a good friend of mine and hate to see it for him. But uh, I've been there and done that in 2016. So, um, you know, we'll, uh, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the classic. There's a thousand ways to lose it. And, uh, you have to be there at the end, and uh, we were able to do that. Yeah. Um, so let's let's um, let's go back and just kind of go through the weekend here. So Friday, Friday's time trial session was just insane. I mean, um, you had to be a little bit bemused because you've you've broken the track record a time or two, um, and it it had to be just <laughs> kind of weird for for you to see that uh, sort of ping pong game that was going on with the uh pole position and the track record at the end there um you weren't that far off but you know i mean did, what is your reaction when you see somebody go out and and end up shooting a 15-4 and then the next guy goes out and shoots a three i mean what goes through your mind as a racer who's run a five you know to and when you see something like that yeah, I mean, I knew early in the week uh, when we tested, the track was pretty quick. Um, it was a, probably as cool as it's been all summer. And I think the track was just in really good condition because we actually went out and ran, I think, a 15-6 uh, on old tires um, okay. earlier in the weekend testing on Thursday. So I knew, I was like, you know, this track's, this track's in prime condition for to, to see some really good times. And um, in time trials, we, we just got a little loose in the middle of the turn and when it wasn't, wasn't really able to gas it up like I wanted to. 
Um, but to still run a six, I thought that was really good. So I felt like felt good about our car. And then, uh, you know, Tyler went out and laid a really good lap down and, uh, Otto went out and laid a really good lap down. And then Michael, you know, I, you know, uh, it, Michael can get a, a car around that track fast, no matter what. So, um, I wasn't overly surprised that he was, uh, you know, on top of the board, but, um, but I think the times, um, surprised me. I thought we had a car that could have went a four. I'm not sure. I thought we had a car that could have went a three. So. Um, to see that time was was pretty impressive. How do you, how do you get? I mean, as a, I mean, I've been I've been going there since 1973, and and I, you know, I I, I laugh to think back um, on that afternoon to to the fact that I think when I started going, I think fast time was like 18.7 or something, and mm-hmm. and you had to you had to go 19.5 to quote unquote turn time back in the day, and all of a sudden we're we're. We're going from fifteen six to fifteen five to fifteen four to fifteen three. I mean, what I I when you say the track's in prime condition, explain that in a little more detail if you can for those of us who really don't quite get that. I I get slick versus whatever, but like explain how you get two tenths out of that day. Sure. So I think well where we are now is 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 a is a result of the tail wing. Um, they don't have a lot of drag. You know, I think people are really getting a balance, uh, their balance correct ah. uh, for time trials. So that, that's got our times improved. Okay, so that's why you're seeing some of the more of the 15-second bracket uh, time trials. Now, when time trials or when times start to get down there, you start to get into situations where you need a, a prime condition. So the cooler temperatures make the motors make more horsepower. The track's got more grip in them. Um, and, and for some reason this summer, it's been, it's been a hot day, you know, or a bit of hot summer. So, you know, you yeah. saw fast times, but not necessarily maybe as fast as, as you would see now, um, for classic this weekend, we saw a lot of 70 degree days, um, you know, which really gave us the opportunity to, to lay down those laps. And I'm a believer there's maybe lots of reasons we're sitting here talking about these track records this year. And I think that the new pavement has had an effect on the track. I think that the new really? pavement is really um, sped the track up quite a bit. So, um, you know, you've, we've seen track records in, in almost every division, including the wings from modifieds and the non wings from modifieds. So that's just my gut feeling that, that the new pavements affected it, but, um, you know, who really knows? Well, so that, that would, uh, kind of lend credence to the thought process then that if you actually repaved the entire track instead of just you know portions of it um you'd see a significant increase in speed and i don't know if that would necessarily be good or bad but it it, i mean how how much faster can we go with with the current like where where is where do you think could we actually get down toward 15 flat i mean where is where does this end well, I mean, it's it's not much different than when me and Mike Lichty were trading the track record back and forth <laughs> oh, as a wing boy, car. That was fun. So you you kind of get it to a point where it's it's kind of difficult to break. Yeah. Uh, Mike held it for quite a while there at the end, and and uh, then you get into those situations where you need the, the perfect day to break it. You need the the right weather day to break it. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's probably where we're approaching with the non-wing cars. That that three is probably going to stand for a while. Um, we're probably not going to be breaking that on a regular basis. Um, you're probably going to need a prime condition. You're probably going to need a lot of rubber on the track, uh, those kind of things, which we all had this weekend. So right. we had uh, quite a bit of rubber from the test sessions, and, um, you know, it was, it was just the right day. 
It's incredible. I think somebody said it was a shade over 146 average speed. That's just shocking, honestly. It's incredible. Uh, And it has to be just a super uh, rush for those of you guys who do it. But um, so, okay, so let's fast forward now to Sunday coming out of uh, qualifying. You know, like you said, you, you, you know, you were a little bit loose, but you were still fast. You had you had to feel really confident going into the race because obviously we're not going to be running those kind of times during the race. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's the one thing that I'll say about those times is that, you know, it's really two laps that you're going to do right. that. You yeah. know, we're, if you look, go back and look at the season, you look at, you know, even classic they're, they, they're they slow down significantly in the sure. race. And so we're not really racing that fast, right. but um, you know, I felt comfortable, um, very, really confident going into the race that we would have a good car. We've had a good race car all year long. Um, and which we did, you know, I mean, maybe early we were a little bit tighter than I wanted the car to be. And I was just being careful because I didn't want to burn the right front off, um, with a tight car. And this year we had burn a right front off. Um, okay. so I was just kind of taking my time early in the race and really there's not a lot of reason to go push it early. Um, you know, when, when, the, when I did transfer the fuel off the left side of the car, it did free the car up quite a bit. So I was able to to be a lot more aggressive with it. So um, that's why you saw me come on, I think around a lap 100 when yeah. I transferred the fuel. I, I, it definitely was able, allowed me to pick, pick up the pace a lot more. So how, how do you feel the race played out in comparison to what you were expecting? You know, it was, it was kind of an interesting race for me because you, the, we race around all the same people quite frequently. So we get to learn their tendencies, what they laid like to do what, you know, and you're sitting there Saturday, at least I do. And I'm trying to plan out what I think each one of them is going to do in my own head. And I know what I want to accomplish. I know what I want right. to do. Um, but then you have to have plan A, B, C, and D um, as the race plays out, because a lot of times things don't go as planned. Um, right. So, uh, you know, I had to make an, uh, a, a change early in the race when I was a little tighter, I had to change kind of my strategy. Um, and then you kind of watch the people around you and what they're doing and how they're approaching the race. And, um, you know, I, I, and that's just kind of the way you have to go about it. So, you, you know, you can have a plan and sometimes the best laid plans don't always work out. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, one of the, obviously one of the things that that's been talked about all year is car count and, and, you know, you got 26 cars, um, or 25, whatever it was starting the race versus, you know, 34 or whatever. Um, but I feel like once the race starts other than, okay, more cars equals more traffic or whatever, I feel like the way that you would want to manage your race is pretty much the same, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how many other cars are out there. You're running against the track and you're running against your car and you're managing your car and you're, um, I mean, you're watching what the other guys are doing, but you're, you're trying to, to, to manage your own car and your own race, uh, so that you have enough to, to be there at the end to challenge for the win, right? Yeah, I think that would be first and foremost. You got to drive the car that you have. Um, yeah. You're feeling the car. Is it too tight? Is it too loose? Is it doing anything? Is it puking fuel out the cell, side cell? Is it doing something? And then, you know, you kind of adapt from there. If you have a really good car, then you can be a little bit more aggressive. If you have a car that's maybe got an issue, you can, you know, uh, change your strategy from there. But, uh, yeah, it starts first and foremost with what you're, you have and what you're doing. And then, and then what the other people are doing around you uh, affects what, what goes on. So, um, did your race end up, I mean, obviously you won, but did your race end up going as you hoped that it would, was it pretty close to what you would had planned to do? 
Um, not entirely. Um, so, you know, early, like I said, I, I had to change my strategy because it was a little bit tighter. Um, and then I think I had kind of lagged back for a while until around the lap, uh, 100 when I yeah. transferred the fuel over and then, uh, I was able to pick the pace up pretty good, um, from there. And I got by Michael, um, Barnes yeah. pretty, pretty good, um, or without much issue. Um, and I'm sure he was riding at that point, but I got by him. And then I got by um, Tyler yeah. um, coming off a of four, and that and that's when Otto hit the wall. Um, so I actually felt like at that point I I was ahead of Tyler when Otto hit the wall, but that's not the way the tower saw it. So the tower put me back behind Tyler at that point. So um, and then I think Tyler was starting to experience some issues with his car. He was starting to push at least from my perspective. He was starting to push pretty good. Okay, and then. Um, so I was all over the back of him once we went green again. And then he had a bolt break, I believe, in the yes, steering. Yes, I think that's what I um, Which I ended up, when he broke in between one and two, I hit the back of him. And it damaged my left Oh, okay. Leg, I didn't uh, know that. Pretty good. So that. that also didn't help us a tremendous amount towards the end of the race. But, you know, at the time, I couldn't see it. I just knew the car picked up a little bit of a push towards the end, um, specifically on restarts. It, for the, about the first three or four laps, it was sliding the nose pretty good. Um but then when that happened, when I run in the back of Tyler, um, Michael got by me, and then so did Jeffrey Abel. Yeah. So they got back by me, and then after the caution, I was able to get back by Jeffrey, and then, uh, you know, me and Michael just raced to, to the finish from that point. So. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm curious. I mean, did you did you feel like? I mean, it seemed it seemed like Michael had you covered at the end. I mean, you know, it, it just, it seemed that way anyway, but then of course he ran out of fuel. Um, what, you know, your car compared to his and kind of your situation compared to his, what, what would you say about that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say exactly how hard he was running the car at different times. I know, I think towards the end, the last 10 or 15 laps, he was giving it a pretty good amount. Yeah. But I felt like my car wasn't as good specifically on the shorter runs. He would get away a few car lengths. Yeah. And then after the right front got tire temperature and the left front nose wing wasn't hindering me as much, I was able to at least hold serve. I was able to, you know, I felt a couple laps I would catch him and then a couple laps he'd pull back out. So I felt like we were about even at, at a certain point. But it wasn't, you know, it would have taken something significant for me to pass him you know on your equal speeds at some point yeah um i did try him a few times on the restarts i had yeah one time i thought i had a really good shot at him on the outside on a restart and he was pushing a little bit it was just it was going to get me too high on the track and you know you don't want to make a huge mistake and and end up being you know up in the marble so um that didn't work out but i had a, a couple decent runs on him there um but it looked like to me he was a little tight on the on the start and I kept trying to cross him over, going high, and then come off underneath him, and uh, you know, just just didn't work out. You know, he was strong enough to hold me yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a pretty crafty racer, and you know, he's he's one of the the tougher guys to pass. I feel like, uh, you know, when when he knows he's got a strong car. But I mean, you know, it was, uh, you know, you and I talked before we hit the record button, and you know, it was kind of like a Merry Christmas deal, but as you say, I, I lost, I lost one like that. And so, you know, um, the odds get even after a while, I guess. And, uh, it's a shame for those guys because obviously, you know, they, um, 
you don't want to see you don't want to win like that but you yeah. got to take the win any way you can get it because you know the classic wins don't come around every day yeah i mean we've all seen a bunch of classics we've seen yep. different strategies plan out Some, a lot of people run out of fuel tyler ran out of fuel a couple of years ago yep. um leading the race with about five or ten to go yep. um you know it's happened before and uh it will happen many times you know in the future so i mean obviously he's a friend of mine and you hate to see that happen and i know what that feels like in yep. 16 i ran out of fuel with two laps to yep. go and finished fourth and that's exactly what happened to him so um i i just remember the feeling and, and how gutted i was after that so you know i i wanted to go over to him after the race and, and and just honestly give him a hug and tell him you know i felt bad you know but from my perspective you know it 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 made me feel like, you know, we, we won the classic, you know, we, right. we, we were able to accomplish it. Yep. I know now I know how Jeffrey Abel feels, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, right. Th- this race really brings, you know, it comes full circle. So, um, at the end of the day, you have to go 200 laps and, um, you know, that's what, uh, we, we were able to, to accomplish. So, well, that's, that's the whole thing. And that's why I love the classic because the classic has always been an endurance test and it's been a, a, um, I think a strategy play it's it it has rarely only one driver obviously has ever started on the pole and walked the dog for 200 laps and um, you know others have failed trying um, you know it's it's the thing I love about that race is the unpredictability you just never know um, you know there's you get a lot of conversation from people about you know we should do this we should do that we should change it to this or do that I mean um, what are your thoughts as a driver? Um, I mean, obviously coming off a win, but what are your thoughts as a driver about, you know, what it do you, is, is there any part of you that would, would change anything about the way the classic is? I, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, Me neither. from a driver's perspective, at least my perspective, the classic is the classic. Exactly. I mean, to, to go out and qualify and start heads up, you know, fast guys up front and, to worry about strategy and how, how you're going to play your hand and the preparation that goes into it to get a car to go 200 laps and the tire, you know, how you have to conserve your tire and not only tires, you have to conserve fuel. Um, the faster pace, you eat more fuel. So you run a greater risk of running out of fuel at the end. So, you know, the, the, this seems like the last few years, the pace of the race has been a little faster, which is leading to got more guys running out of fuel. So, um, it's definitely a race of its own. And I honestly, I would not change a thing. No, I agree. I mean, I just, I think if you change anything, it's not the classic anymore. If you split it in two or you do, you know, then it's just two sprint races. And honestly, that wouldn't be interesting to me anymore. Um, yeah, you're, you're never going to appeal to everybody. No. You know what I mean? You get their tradition at some point wins out. You know what I mean? It's, this is the classic. So that's this. I mean, it should stay the way it is. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, any, anything, any of these longer distance races and in, in the, obviously the Swiggle classic has always been the, the granddaddy of them all. Um, and I feel like even this year you saw a lot of, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of drama in that race. I mean, a lot of things happened. You could have had just as easily had five or six of you, um, you know, duking it out at the end and, you know, other, other drivers just ran into issues. I mean, Otto hit the wall and, you know, Tyler had, had the issue and, you know, just, um, those, that's part of the race. And, and part of the strategy is that you don't know how many green flag caution flag you, you just, you really have to, um, 
I think you have to be very flexible to be good at the classic. And the drivers that that I think uh, have the most classic wins are are the drivers who understand how to you know how to read what's going on. And now you've got three of them. Um, and uh, I I know that uh, you're far from done in your career. So um, you know I I it w- it'll be interesting to see how many more of these you can win because you seem to be really good at uh, at, at running this race now. Yeah, I mean, I think that the long-distance races have been something that I've always enjoyed, whether it be the High Miler, the Star Classic, the Oswego Classic. Um, I learned at an early age. I was 17 years old and won the High Miler. Um, had no idea what I was doing at that point, but um, really learned a lot of lessons from my father on how to run long-distance races and how not to abuse the car and not slip the back tires and um, be smart you know, and get it to the end and, and things like that. So. Um, I'm a big fan of the long distance races always have been. So, um, I mean, like I said, uh, the, the Oswego classic is near and dear to my heart as well as the high miler. So, um, yeah, more long distance races for me, the better now, um, you know, obviously, uh, I think a lot of people would probably assume that the first one is always the sweetest, but, uh, I would assume this, this one probably meant a little more because, uh, just not necessarily than the first one, but this one had a, the element of surprise. Uh, and you know, you ended up, you, you, it looked like you were going to be second. You ended up with a win that, that, uh, that, that had to be a nice, uh, a nice surprise at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, if I'm ranking them, if I'm sitting here and, and thinking about it, I, I would say the first one, um, was the best one only because it was my family history and not sure. being able to win the race. My dad finishing second three oh times. Oh my and, gosh not um not getting the job done in 16 and then and then being able to do it in 17 was so special um for not only me but my entire family yeah and then to come back last year um i for, it was it was special to me because of chris and brian and right. being able to do it with them um and their family history and, and their dad being at the track and had having won a classic with with gosick and for sure um you know, there's a lot of history, a lot of family history um, that goes there. And then this year, you know, I'm not even fully sure it sunk in yet. I think it was just so I told my wife on the way home. Um, I said the last lap happened so fast. Like I'm the last. Lap, it actually seemed fake to me. Like I was like waiting for somebody <laughs> to come over the radio and go, hey, the race is over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like when he I just went around him and then like I made a lap and the checkers came out and I'm like, OK, is this did that really just happen? Like. Um, so I don't, I'm not even sure it's fully set in yet, but, um, you know, again, to win, win the race with Brian and Chris and, and the entire team, all the efforts they put in and, um, it, it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, there's nothing like, you know, standing in the pits and the fans coming out of the stands and taking pictures and signing autographs. And, um, there's, and, and then actually after the race going out and partying with the fans in the backstretch and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's why they call it the classic, you know, it's just, right. just a very special race. And now uh, you've got as many wins as your dad has seconds. Yeah, I don't know if he, <laughs> if he finds that a great stat or not, but uh, I know he's extremely happy for me. And, well, <laughs> you know, um, I was looking uh, at some stats on the driving home today and uh, ties me with champagne, which anytime you can yeah. be tied with uh, uh, Jim uh, champagne is, is a tremendous honor. Um, you know, but we got some more people to catch and we got to keep digging. So um, that's always the plan of, uh, you know, keep winning more of these. And I, I actually learned a, a very interesting stat. Uh, somebody, Jeff Lickfeld, came to me after the race and uh, told me that I have nine Triple Crown victories now, which is only second to Bentley. 
So wow. that I thought was an, a, very, a very interesting stat. That is an interesting stat. So now, yeah. um, I know you haven't run a lot with the um, with the top wing on the on the car. Um, do you go to Star and run the Star Classic? We talked about it. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, we uh, before the classic, we had mentioned it or talked about it, but we really haven't talked about it since. Um, it's something we want to do. I know it's on Chris's list to do. We lost our good engine at the High Miler. Um, not that you really need a great engine for Star, um, but um, and you never know. We may and we may not. I just I'm not sure I have the answer uh, at the moment. Well, it would be great to see you take a shot at that to add to the the triple crown wins. Um, and you know, you you really, I mean, what a way to top off the season for sure. Uh, I I guess. I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask anyway because that's my job. Uh, will we see you back with Chris and the group for 2023 again? Yeah, I mean, we haven't really even talked about that yet. I'm sure that we'll be back, though. I mean, uh, we have a an outstanding group of people that work on the team, and Chris is outstanding, and, and Brian, his brother, puts in a lot of work into the cars. And um, we have great, great sponsors that help us out. And, and the one thing that I'll say, I say this all the time, is, we we have fun as a team. We uh, we laugh, we joke, we hang out. We and I talk to Chris probably almost every day during the race season, and, and probably at least a couple times a week in the off season. So okay. we're as good as friends as we are, you know, um, driver and owner. So um, I, I I have no reason to believe that we wouldn't do it again next year. Okay, so um, that leads me to the inevitable next uh, question, which really isn't a question. It's uh, Talk about your sponsors and whoever you want to thank, because I know you got a list. Yeah, certainly. Uh, TJ Toyota, first and foremost, Ed Close, for all the support that he gives um, Chris and the team. Um, Holiday and Express of Oswego, um, Ontario Orchards of Oswego, um, you know, the entire crew, um, Jim, Sean, um, Matt, Ashton. She, was, uh, she had to go back to Canada, so she wasn't at the Classic, so we were bummed that she wasn't there. Big North. Um, the wives that help out, you know, my wife, uh, Katrina for all that she does. And, and, uh, you know, um, just everybody that pitches in, it's just, uh, you know, like I said, we all have a lot of fun, uh, together and, uh, you know, looking forward to what next year brings. Well, uh, we definitely appreciate you taking some time, uh, the day after your big win to come on and talk to us, Dave, and, uh, congratulations on classic win number three to you and Chris and everybody with, uh, the team and look forward to seeing you back at the uh, big O in 2023. Hey, thanks for having me. That's Dave Schulich jr. Our classic super modified classic winner. And uh, we'll be back with more of the groove right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, supermodifieds. It doesn't matter. If you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services 
from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove sent you. Okay, we are back on the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast, episode 107, our first post Bud Classic Weekend 66 episode. And hope you enjoyed uh, hearing from DJ Schoelich. That was uh, gracious of him after such a long weekend to to jump right on the phone with me and do that interview. I appreciate that very much. what a race the classic was. Um, I, you know, I, I've seen, seen a few negative comments about it online and I don't get it. Um, I mean, I think we all know things that, you know, I mean, we all know there were only 26 cars or whatever. And, and, you know, but you gotta, you, you gotta race what's there. And it was a dog on good field of cars in terms of quality if not quantity. And even with 26 cars, I thought that race had a ton of drama in it. A lot of lead changes. Um, some, some guys going at it as we got kind of beyond the, the, uh, the quarter mark, um, you know, I don't, I don't a bunch of laps and, um, Mike Barnes took it over on, I think it was around lap 63 and um, then lost it again. A few laps later, took it back, lost it again. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, you know, Otto ended up at the wall. Um, you know, the, the 98 of Tyler Thompson ran into issues. Um, I mean, it was, um, those guys were, those guys were, were driving pretty hard there. Uh, for a while and 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 then obviously um once uh once Mike got the lead back and we got kind of going uh into the last part of the race then things settled down for a bit um DJ ran second for quite a while and and uh then I mentioned earlier Tyler Schulich uh 6 laps to go he lost a tire spun out um and and then of course we had that that finish. Um, you know, Mike runs out of gas and and the ninety five gets the win. Um I mean you look at the top five in this thing and Danny Connors, great run for second. Um Ben Seitz in Vic Miller's car finishes third. That was fantastic for them. Uh fourth was, was Barnes, uh limping across the line and, and uh Dave McKnight. In the Morton car got fifth, and you know there's a a couple of good examples here of with Sites and and McKnight of drivers who, um, you know really I mean they ended up with really good finishes, and and you can say well yeah but it was because of attrition of attrition who cares it's the classic this is what it's all about, you know, um and I think it's great for those guys to to get some some recognition and get a good run. Uh, Mike McVetta had an amazing run going. He was in the top five until um, something happened to the wing on his car. I'm not really sure what exactly it was. Uh, I was actually trying to eat some food while I was <laughs> watching that part of the race. So um, 
I I missed a couple of things, I think, but um but Mike had a fantastic run going and you know, and then obviously Badlock hit him. Um you know, this was I thought this race had all the drama that you'd want. I mean, you know, thankfully no real scary wrecks other than the um the wreck with Lou of A Junior, which I guess is scary enough for the whole race. Um, you know, got basically up toward the top of the wall. I think, and and um, and flipped over. Fortunately, he was okay. Um, the thirty nine of Allison Slow was involved in that too, and uh, so you know they ended up out of the race. It, uh, but I I thought it was a really interesting race. I thought that um, you know you had you had some initial again you had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. So obviously for DJ. Um, in the highest of highs, right? I mean, you know, ends up winning his third classic for, um, you know, for Mike Barnes, uh, the lowest of lows in that team. I mean, you know, they, they did everything but win, you know, and that's, there's no way that you can soothe that balm, right? I mean, that's, that's a, you know, that's a gut punch when that happens, but you know, that's part of it. And, you know, Camden Proud. Again, we mentioned Cam, um, you know, broke a torque arm in practice and had to start in park. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, that, that young man has had more than enough, uh, of a hard time with mechanical things and, and, and whatnot this year. Um, it was just, um, I hated seeing that for him. And, uh, again, I hope that, uh, Tim's okay. Um, but, you know, so much of, of, you know, the ups and downs. I mean, that's what the classic is. And, you know, I just, I'll, I, I, I just don't, I don't, um, I understand why anybody wants to mess with that. Honestly. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you're, if any changes that you make and, and I saw some comments about, well, sometimes tradition has to, you know, times change and whatever. It's like, well, yeah, but (laughs) the 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 traditions that we've messed with over the last 20 years are why we're having all these issues that we're talking about you know (laughs) it's why there's no crowd that's why you know you have 26 cars i mean it's it's um so no i'm not in favor of changing the classic at all I, i you leave it the way it is and um i'm also not in favor of ever again increasing the tire allotment for that race um again make people think make people strategize um there's just no reason why we need to be buying tires just to be buying tires there's way too much of that in pavement racing in general dirt track racing we don't have those issues and we don't over practice in dirt tracks either you go out and get five laps and go race um so i i honestly think that you know the 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 tire shortage um, in the situation at hand now, um, you know, I, I don't know what may have happened, if anything, in terms of last minute, you know, certain corner of the car tires. I know that the late models had some of that, have had some of that where, you know, um, certain size of the tires end up being short or whatever. So I don't know if any of that was an issue, but, um, you know, but I, I just, I don't think people need to be. You know, the, it, it, it's, to me, it takes far more, um, racecraft to be able to manage 
the race on one set of tires than it does to go in and change a tire. Um, I'm not a big fan of the pit and win stuff. Again, that's just my take. But um, but I'm certainly not a fan of, of splitting the classic or doing anything different to the lap count, um, you know, because otherwise it's not the classic anymore. But that was, I thought it was a great weekend. Um, didn't see, it sounds like people were saying there was not a great crowd, but um, it must have been a pretty wealthy crowd because the 50-50 on Sunday was still over four grand to the winner. So, um, you know, obviously uh, whoever was there was contributing mightily. Um, and so, you know, again, I, I don't want to focus on, you know, negative issues on the on this episode. Um, I just, I, and I want to go back uh, and forgive me if I'm being redundant here, but I want to go back to the SBS race for a minute because uh, I'm not sure that I really spent time earlier when I recorded that segment. I'm not sure that I spent a lot of time really talking about Danny Kapazinski and, and, and that win um, like I wanted to. Um, you know, Danny, gosh, to, to see the, uh, to see the emotion in Victor Lane, um, you know, his parents have been around the speedway or were around the speedway forever. Uh, you know, Mike, um, you know, I think everyone who's been around a while remembers Mike and remembers the, the cars that he built, um, you know, they were always unique and he was always trying something different. You know, he built a rear engine, I think for John Bush that, that never really did run too well. Um, I don't think anyway, as I recall, um, he built a car that was numbered zero that I think, I don't know if it was Joe Hawksby or Kevin Lyons. One of those guys drove it a bit. I don't think that car ran very much either. Um, you know, he, he built some cars that Joe Hawksby senior did drive, um, they were together for a number of years yeah, in, and, um, he, uh, of course had a, had a built car for Joe Chalemi. Uh, and I think that one may have gotten wrecked at Syracuse on the dirt. If I remember right. Um, back when they were doing the, the shows during dirt week on the Moody mile, I think Joe might've gotten in a bad wreck with that car. If I remember that right. Um, what else? Gosh, Mike built, uh, he built a car for, um, for Steve Radley that Steve still has, I think. And I, I, gosh, I, I am just, I'm really hoping that at some point Steve agrees to let that go to Danny. I just, I feel like that car needs to be with Danny. It was, I think it was the most beautiful car that Mike ever built. Um, and I remember, I think it was Steve and Joe Chalemi actually that were running, um, for a Concy win the one night, although I, I don't think, I think Steve was in one of his, what was the other car he had? Was it a, an old, it was an old dates car. I think at the time, I think Leeson, Tommy Leeson's old car. Maybe I don't quite remember, but, um, uh, I think Joe was in the capper car that he had, but that was, um, you know, that was, uh, and, and I think they both crashed uh running <laughs> running in the weed and but i i really would like to see that car go back to danny um steve isn't obviously going to do anything with it just you know give it to danny k and and let him um admire it and and young michael 
Um, you know, I think that'd be cool if that could happen. And I know Danny would love to see it happen, but, um, you know, Mike just built some amazingly beautiful cars. You know, he, he really kind of had an engineering mind that I think, you know, um, I, he never had the money really to, to make the cars fast. He had a car that AJ Michaels drove and I think AJ won a heat in it. If I remember right, I think AJ won a heat in one of his cars and, um, gosh, who else drove for him? Um, I think Tony Pafumi, I think drove for him for a while. I think maybe Tony was after AJ, AJ went somewhere else. I don't remember maybe the four car or the 48 car. I don't remember, but, um, he went somewhere, I think. And Tony Pafumi took the car over and then, um, one of the other most beautiful cars that that uh Mike Kapazinski built was um was the car that Bobby Smith got into and oh my gosh I think it was the first night they brought it out it was one of the hardest impacts I've ever seen in my life in a swigo he just it was it was on the inside wall and I think it was coming out of turn 4 um, I don't know that it was the exact, well, I guess it was the pit wall. I don't think he hit where the water barrels are though. I think it was the, the other wall before that, that he caught, but my gosh, he just destroyed that work of art. Um, and yeah, I felt bad because obviously Bobby, you know, do it on purpose or, you know, whatever you just, it, you always know that that's, you know, it's like now we have memes. If we have memes back then, you know, um, glad we didn't. But, um, you know, poor Bobby and poor Capper, all that time and money, and it didn't even make it through the first night. Uh, and that car was just beautiful. I would love to have seen what that, what could have become of that, how, you know, they could have gotten that one going. Um, and I don't know. I'm trying to think if that was the last one that he built maybe until um until i think him and danny built a, a a limited i think um i know the first one they had i'm pretty sure was bob andrews car cuz that was um i helped make that connection for evans mills and danny almost won the race there um but i i don't remember i i th- i think they built one maybe not maybe they didn't they might not have ever built one um but at any rate, Mike was, he was around the speedway a long time and Jan and, and, and Jan still is obviously supports Danny. And, um, she was, I don't know if she still does, but she was helping with the cart side of it back there scoring and whatever. Um, so that family has just been around a long time and I, and I'm so thrilled for Dan to finally get that win. Um, you know, you, again, you don't want to win because the faster guy crashes out. And, and I know Dan, you know, certainly, wouldn't have wanted that to happen to Mike. Um, you know, it was just, well, it was just a race of deal as they say, but, um, it, I just was really, really happy for him. And, and, uh, you know, that, and, and to have Michael be old enough to sort of be cognizant of, of it, you know, and to kind of enjoy it fully, hopefully I think, I'm not sure how old he is, but he, I, he looks like he's a few years old at least. So you're, you're kind of at that point, right? Where he's got to be about ready to <laughs> Danny to figure out whether it's going to be a go-kart or a quarter midget or whatever. Um, Danny drove them all <laughs> a little bit. Um, 
So, uh, you know, about ready to get uh, Mike's, Michael started racing, I would guess. But, um, you know, I, I again, I just hope that uh, they all enjoyed that. And, um, yeah, it was a, that was a cool deal. So, uh, okay, with that being said, let's, um, let's play what's in the numbers, shall we? Because this, this week we look at the number 07, and I'm going to get it because it's always the random ones that catch me lately. Um, but for whatever reason, I, I recall that there was a black Oh seven and I want to say maybe it was a booth car. Um, one of the older of the booth cars, but I think it was a black Oh seven. I think Jim Lowry drove it. So now watch me be totally wrong. Um, <laughs> but I think it was Jim Lowry, uh, that was, that was the driver of that car. I think it ran a classic or two. Um, and maybe it ran some other times at Oswego. I don't know. But Jim, I'm pretty sure. So now we'll see. Uh, y'all will correct me if I'm wrong. But so there's the there's sort of the round the square peg that goes into the round hole because we all know we all know what who basically the 07 is associated with, right? Uh at Oswego in the Supers. Um, Doug Duncan. And uh I, I was, I'm trying to remember if Duncan, the, the first that I remember of Doug Duncan at Oswego would have been with the rear engine super, but there was probably something before that. Maybe, um, John Spencer drove it, uh, and won with it. He was the first rear engine car to win. Um, I think the car was, I think it was red at that time. And then, um, gosh, what year? Um, it became gold. Um, I think, I think that I think it was red, and then it was gold. And Mike Cronin, I think, was the guy, and I can't believe I just because I I was thinking about this earlier, and I I couldn't remember his name, so I think I I think I got it just just at the right moment right um i think it was a guy named mike cronin that bought it um he changed the number to maybe 25 or 33 or something i don't remember but um i think he he bought it and i think now somebody has that car i think somebody has that and i i i think maybe it's being restored or at least i hope it is um and then uh, the next car that 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 they came out with was a Roadster. Now, they they I've I've seen it somewhere that that car was offset. Um, but I don't think it was. It certainly wasn't offset to the degree that Jimmy's offset was. I don't. It might have been a little more than eight inches, but I I think eight was the kind of the 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 number back then. Um, but, uh, but that car was pretty fast and John, John Spencer won a race or two with it. Um, I recall specifically a race he had with Johnny Logan. It might've been a Grand Prix hundred lapper, but those two went at it back and forth swapping the lead. That was a great race. And, uh, Johnny Spencer ended up winning. And then, uh, somewhere in the early part of 76, I think Johnny, Johnny had an injury. He got hurt in a crash or something. And, um, 
it it so happened that Gary Albritton had been doing the indie thing and that didn't work out. So um, Gary was available and Doug, somehow they talked and Doug brought him, put him in the 07 and boy, that combination took off in a hurry. Won uh, two or three features and I think was second in the classic to Steve Joya. Um, Gary was great in that car. That was when he had the permanent, <laughs> the Afro. <laughs> it's like, that was, uh, was really a, a different look back then. Um, Gary was, uh, Gary was a great guy and, uh, just, I had fun in the interview with him that, that, uh, we did back, uh, a couple of years. Um, but, um, so let's see then after 76, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I guess Doug, maybe Doug didn't even race in 77. Um, or he might've, uh, cause I think, so I don't know why Gary didn't end up staying in the car unless maybe he just, maybe went and got back into USAC or something. Um, cause you would have thought that they would have stayed together. That was a great pair. Um, I don't remember why Gary didn't. I think we we talked about that in the interview, but I don't remember. Then um, I think Jimmy Winks was the next driver of the 07 car, and he ran it for a year or two. And then um, Doug built a beautiful brand-new offset car for Jimmy, and that was in 19, what, 80, maybe 80, 79 or 80. I think it was 80. Um, and boy, that car, it was, it was, he won, I think about every heat race he ran <laughs> and just couldn't win a feature. The, the, the car would, something would happen to the car. And so I don't know exactly what all the problems were, but it was just, it, and I don't think it was that it was, I don't know if it was fuel issues or whatever, but he, he they just never quite got it going in the feature races the way that he led quite a few, but then would pull in the pits or whatever. Um, and I'm trying to think, that one I think was the one that got destroyed at Cayuga, and now somebody has that too, I think. I think somebody, whatever the leftovers were, I think somebody somebody's got it. And hopefully that's also being restored. Um, and that was the last of the 07 number for Doug because um, what year? That would have been 81, I guess. And so then uh, Warren Conium had driven for Clyde Booth for a couple of years. And then when I guess Clyde and Jimmy started to talk and they decided to return or to team up and Jimmy decided to come back for 82. And that was when, um, that was when the booth car changed to the number six because he and Conium got together. And so Conium had been using the six with Clyde, Clyde and Jimmy ran 89. That was the kind of, it was the eight for Jimmy and, um, Clyde's original number was nine back in new England. um, so that's kind of how that went, I think. I think I got all that right. Um, but there were, I don't really know, I don't think I missed any, there weren't too many um, 
I don't think the 07 had any kind of one-off sort of drivers, at least that I recall. Um, I think uh, I remember Johnny Spencer filling in in the for for uh, in the backup Salve car one night. And that was probably when the 07 wasn't there. or Maybe it was out for the night. That was right after. So what year would that have been? That would have been 74 or 5. I don't remember which. Um, Whenever they debuted the new 04, uh, they still had the other car. And Johnny, I remember Johnny drove that one night. But I don't think there were too many or any one-offs in the 07. I think it basically was... Spencer, um, Albritton, and Winks for pretty much at least the entirety of the duration that I know of it. And then when that offset car that they built, when Jimmy destroyed that at uh, Cayuga in a crash, I think it was a multi-car crash, um, um then the, then Doug and Conium got together for 82 and they used the number six and they were together for, I think three years, maybe it was at 82, 83, 84. And then I think Conium went back to Clyde for 85 and 86. And then Mike Ordway started somewhere in 87 and, and that's when Conium got in McGarry's car and won the classic. So, um, so that's, I think that that's the, the correct lineage. And I don't know of any other, and again, somebody will probably get me on this. Um, the more recent times I just, you know, I've been there as much, but I don't think there's been another 07 in the supers other than Lowry. Uh, and I was even trying to think about like limiteds and I don't know of an 07 limited. Somebody can fill that blank in if there was one. Um, but that that's a number that probably doesn't, you know, it's one of those numbers that maybe didn't get as many uh, wins or, you know, it, it they didn't win a classic. But, boy, Doug Duncan was in the 70s. Doug Duncan's cars were, they not only were they absolutely beautiful, but they were fast. And even right up till, you know, Ian Conium were done at the end of 84. And I don't think, I don't think Doug, I think that was it for Doug after that. Um, in fact, I think if I remember right, and somebody can correct me on this too, but I think Conium actually bought the car from Doug Duncan in 484. And I think that's when, who was, um, Kenny Williamson, wasn't it? I think he and Kenny Williamson, I think Conium and Kenny's dad made some sort of an arrangement where Conium bought the car and then Kenny bought it for Kenny's dad bought it from him. Um, what was, gosh, uh, I don't remember his dad's name, Garnett. I think it was Garnett. Um, and I think I think Garnett bought it from Conium and they ran his team cars, right? That was Kenny's first foray uh, into super modified racing. And I think there was some sort of an agreement for Conium to kind of tutor Kenny along, I think is how that worked. Um, so there you go. Well, you can fill in the blanks there. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to end this, this show without talking about um, the fact that this classic weekend was 40 years um, 
was 40 years to the day on Sunday, only it was in 1982. September 4, 1982 is a Saturday night when Jimmy Champagne was killed in the crash in the modified 200. Um, you know, when you look at Jimmy's stats... The stats that Jimmy had just absolutely incredible. Um, it, it, I think Jimmy was easily the most impactive driver to ever race at the Oswego Speedway. I, I don't think, I just don't think that you can, you can name another driver who who had anywhere near the stats that Jimmy had. Um, and I don't have them all in front of me, but. I, I can tell you what I know. First of all, um, three classic wins for Jimmy. Um, he won track championships in 1970, 1972, I believe, 1974, 1976, and 1979. Um he won the modified 200 in 1972 and 1974 won i think something like five or six modified races in a three year i i, I guess uh four year span 71 through 74 um he's the only driver in track history to win the true Oswego Triple Crown, which is the the Super Modified Track Championship, the Super Modified Classic, and the Modified 200. He's the only driver in track history to do that. He probably will forever be that. Um, of course, he won 87 Super Modified Features. That is the most in Super Modified history, and nobody will ever catch him. And he did it in 15 winning seasons. When you look down the rest of that list, I think Bentley has 64, and it was something like 19 winning seasons for him to get that. Um, pretty much everybody in the top three or four on the list, Gozik has been racing longer to get his wins He's up there. Eddie Bellinger, I think, was third. Um, and, you know, again, almost all of the drivers below Jimmy have had more winning seasons than Jimmy had, and Jimmy's way above them in wins, which means that, um, I mean, he averaged, uh, you know, 15 winning seasons, 87. That's about almost six wins. Uh Per, per season in those seasons average uh just an amazing run that he had um you know he he just made such an impact on so many drivers at the track he revolutionized the class of course with his offset car that he built in 1976 first raced it in 77 um, but you got to go back a bit on that because remember the first driver to ever race that car was not Jimmy Champagne. It was Steve Joya Jr. That's a testament to the character that Jimmy was to the man that he was. 
Steve was chasing Jimmy for the track championship in 1976. And the very last night of the season, Steve had a crash in the nine. And Jimmy gave him his brand new car that he hadn't even raced and let Steve run it that night, knowing that there is at least a possibility that Steve could take the title from him with his own car. And then after it was all over, now Jimmy ended up winning the, the race, I think, and won the championship. Steve had a, I think he got into some sort of a little scrape in the feature, maybe. Finished about 10th or 11th, if I remember right. And um, you know what? Jimmy tried to pay Steve a percentage of what Steve won. I mean, that's, you know, that's the kind of man Jimmy was. Um, there was a time Jimmy used to do a lot in the school, speak to kids, um, you know, talk about, you know, working for what you want and, and, you know, maintaining good grades and going to college, do all that sort of thing, telling his story. Um, and he, uh, he drove through a blizzard to get to my school at one point, not, unfortunately not speak in my class, but, um, to get to my elementary school and got there and the schools are closed. You know, you didn't have cell phones back then. So there was no way of really getting to him. He was already on the road when they decided to close him. And so, you know, rather than get upset, he just, you know, asked them when they wanted him back and he, you know, rescheduled and went and went and did whatever it was he was there to do. I, I assume speak to a class or a, you know, an assembly of some sort. Um, and, you know, he did so much of that. He did so much promotion for the track, so much, um, you know, he he was the most impactive driver. You know, he, he was uh, Doug Heveron's mentor. I know that he and Steve Joya talked quite a lot. Um, he and Kenny Andrews were were big time rivals on the track in the earlier seventies, but you know, Kenny wrecked his car on classic weekend. Jimmy gave him the parts to fix it. And Kenny went out, and won the race. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it just, it, Jimmy to, to even think about the impact that that man had on the, on the track. You, you literally, I mean, we did a Jimmy champagne tribute show a while ago. Um, and we spoke with, uh, with Ed Close, we spoke with uh, Cerise um, and his daughter, uh, and it was a, it was an awesome show. He he was just he was an amazing guy, and of course, you know his nephew Keith uh, was born does not remember Jimmy's career. Um, was born not born until I think um, eighty four, if I remember right. Um, I probably blew that one big time, but I think it was 84. Um, and uh, it was after Jimmy died anyhow. And so Keith doesn't really remember Jimmy as a racer. And of course, you know, Keith then started racing and uh, his brother, Ed, you know, Jimmy's brother, Ed raced go-karts and, and that's Keith's dad. Keith uh, started racing and, and eventually started running supers in 2005 for uh, Terry Strong um, and, uh, and Pat, and, and then they had their own car a while. He ran for, uh, Durat, ran, uh, for, uh, yeah, for Durat for a while and then ended up, uh, his career with Chris Hosetic. And so, you know, kind of carried on the name and I will never forget, uh, 
the year that they they actually uh, made the fifty five into the eight ball. I you know that that was the coolest thing for me to see. Um, I know it meant a lot to Keith to be able to do that. Um, you know, but Keith was always very protective about not wanting to be compared to Jimmy or, you know, it's tough when you're, you know, Brandon Bellinger or you're, you know, Steven Joya or you're Jeff Abold or, you know, any of the second generation, you know, Michael Muldoon, there's the obvious comparisons and Keith is a nephew, not a son, but it's still the same name. And, you know, I know Keith was always conscious about wanting to be Keith and not Jimmy. And, you know, the, the, gosh, I, I, I just, I could, I could be here all day talking about my hero. Um, Jimmy was, Jimmy was the best. And, um, just to, uh, to have been able to watch him in his prime, um, starting from 73, uh, you know, the night that the night that happened, September fourth, nineteen eighty-two, was just awful. Um, I I I just have a hard time even thinking about it. Still, um, you know, it. it uh, he was Jimmy's. Jimmy's legend will never be forgotten at the track ever. That you that you know among the best drivers of the day i mean Otto Sitterly is probably the closest well i guess Gozik would be the closest in most wins but um you know none of these guys will race long enough or win enough in a season to ever come close to catching jimmy champagne so for as long as there is an oswego speedway at the top of the all-time wins board will be the eight ball and jimmy champagne and his impact overall, I mean, when you think about even expanding it into other modified shows that he ran in one with that closest car, um, the dirt modified championships and wins that he got at tracks like Rolling Wheels and Weedsport, he decided to go sprint car racing in 1980 and ended up, um, I can't remember if it was Weedsport or Rolling Wheels where he won his first sprint car race, but um, he, he won he won a race uh and and had a uh i don't know if it was 80 or 81 but he had an amazing run when the world of outlaws were still running at the mile at syracuse on the dirt he finished third i mean you know if jimmy would have stayed with the sprint cars i am firmly convinced that he would have been as good as anybody and when he first started driving him he wasn't you know it was completely out of his element he loved that challenge he made a lot of mistakes and he was you know, he was in his glory while he was doing it. You know, he always had, uh, he was always about conquering the next hurdle and, you know, built the radical offset, completely changed super modifieds forever, and then turned around and built the fastest rear engine car on the planet. And, and it, and it probably will, as far as a super modified goes. And, and, you know, um, of course it, you know, only ran a year cause the speedway decided to ban it and, and ban her engine cars. Um, you know, again, who knows what might've been with the 89 car. They, they had so many motor problems with it during the year that they didn't get a chance to really dial on the handling. But 
I remember him getting into Doug Haveron's backup car, which was the newer of the two LaProd offsets, which, by the way, were clones of Jimmy's Radical. Um, and he went out and he he went out in a heat race in that car and won by about an hour and a half. Um, it was unbelievable to watch. He had no time in the car, just went out and and kicked everybody's butt. And then I think that night Doug needed it because I think his other car had a motor problem or something. And so when you know it, <laughs> we never got to see Jimmy run the feature. That would have been, you know, um, I talk a lot about, uh, you, you know, with people about how that, that sort of clash of the Titans between Doug and Jimmy never really developed the way that, that, um, that we all would have wanted it. The 81 classic, but Jimmy lost a lap early cause he spun and just was never really a factor but they started on the front row together, which to me was perfect. And then in 82, Jimmy had qualified on seven cylinders. He qualified third for the classic and, you know, obviously uh, never got to run the race. He won his last feature on August 14th of 82 in the 89 car. And that was a dominating performance. I don't remember it, it, when I think back, I kind of ask myself, where was Doug Haveron? Because that was still during um, Doug's two-year uh, dominant reign with his cars. Um, and so I have to assume that he might have broke or ended up in a crash somehow or whatever. But um, Jimmy just Jimmy just devastated the field that night. And it looked like classic Jimmy Champagne. And I think it was the motor out of his sprint car. Um, they just... You know, it was just one of those years that you have where, you know, they build a brand new car. It had some really trick ideas on it. A lot of flex, chassis flex, which was kind of a new thing at the time. Um, I think uh, Ed was used to it with the go-karts and Jimmy became intrigued by, you know, by that. Jimmy and Clyde. Clyde was always trying to build a better mousetrap. The two of them were honestly the perfect pair in a way because, <laughs> you know, um, they both always wanted to advance the, you know, the, 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 the technology. And, uh, and so that was the car that Jimmy, you know, sat sort of cockeyed to the left because he figured that the last part of the car that, um, hadn't been offset to the left in the super was the driver. So he, he tipped the seat a little bit and, uh, I don't know if Mike McLaughlin ran it that way in 83 or not. Um, but uh, when he drove it, but um, that car, they they never did get it, you know, quite right at a swiggle. I think it got better because I remember Mike being really fast with it pretty consistently while he drove it at a swiggle. But then the, um, they, uh, but boy, when you put a wing on that thing, it was unbelievable. I, I remember seeing him at Lancaster that year in 83 and oh my gosh. I mean, he was, he was just totally dominant with it. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure what all the, you know, all it was. Um, yeah, but, uh, man, that was, you know, it, uh, we'll never know. Um, but I, I I don't feel like, you know, they, they, they mentioned it at the track and Roy did a nice little tribute to him. Um, but somehow I felt like it should have been more 
and not necessarily to say Roy should have said more, but I just, you know, would have liked to have seen some sort of, you know, um, I don't know what, but just, you know, giant poster or something. I mean, I just felt like that should have been more um, prominent throughout the the weekend. But um, I wasn't going to let this show end without spending a little time talking about Jimmy. He he just um, Jimmy did a lot of things that, that I teach my drivers to do now in, in terms of, you know, he, he used to kind of squat down to my level. So we were eye to eye when he would talk to me. He never, you know, he never sort of stood up and, and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's things like that. He learned my name and always just called me by name. And, you know, when you're six or seven or whatever, that, that's a big deal when you, when you're, when, you know, when somebody like that, Warren Conium did the same thing. And that's why, you know, I always talk about those two, um, you know, because they were just, you know, all the drivers were, were, were great, great people and very nice when I would get an autograph or whatever. Um, but, but Jimmy and Warren just kind of went that extra, you know, little bit. And so in 79, when those two were teammates for the classic, I was pretty excited, you know, and I was always a Jeff Bodine fan. So when Jimmy was going to drive the 99 in the 82 modified 200, I was pretty excited about that too. Cause I knew that car could win. I didn't think he would, I, I figured Greg Sachs would win because he was dominant that year. But I, if Jimmy could have finished anywhere in the top two or three, I'd have been thrilled. Um, but it just wasn't to be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you're, when you're, when you lose, when the first time that you realize your heroes are not immortal, that, that's hard. That was a life lesson in mortality for me. That, that, you know, heroes, heroes are humans, right? And, um, that was, was just a rough, just a rough weekend for a lot of people, not just for me, for a lot of people. Um, you know, I don't think the track was ever quite the same after that. To be honest, I think, um, you know, much like NASCAR with Dale Earnhardt, I think Jimmy Champagne was the equivalent of that at Oswego. Um, when, when, when that happened, um, I mean, the next day, as I remember it, and maybe I'm just projecting my own feelings or perspective of the day, but as I remember it, it was a very somber classic Sunday. It was, it, it, I think people were in shock you know, every, we went through the motions and I think people were still, you know, kind of excited about the race and, you know, but I mean, somewhere in everybody's mind was that, you know, the flags at half staff and uh, um, that hole next to Bentley Warren in the, in the, in the formation when they, when they, you know, pushed the cars off. They left Jimmy's spot open. Um, hearing Roy Sova's voice break, hearing Jack Burgess say that when one gambles in a sport that gambles with in death, gambles with death, one sometimes comes up a loser. But Jimmy Champagne was a winner all the way. I'll never forget those words. That was incredible um 
And um, so I just hope that everybody takes some time this week to just remember Jimmy. And um, it's uh, that was I don't we'll never see the likes of him again. There have been a, a lot of great drivers and we've got a number of them out there now. Um, you know, I think Otto Sitterly is one of the greatest drivers to ever sit in the super modified seat. And probably of all the guys that I would rank in that category. And I, I don't want to exclude somebody like Bentley. Cause I know Bentley has worked on cars and done a lot of that, but, um, Otto is truly an engineer and is truly, you know, that's one of Otto's skills. That's, I mean, it, the, the, you know, the, he doesn't, didn't build the chassis. Obviously they're all hawk cars or at least the, you know, the, the, all the ones with John Nicotra. Um, but, um, you know, Otto, Otto added to that, you know, Otto's cars were not, you know, Otto, Otto incorporated some things that he thought would improve the cars. And, you know, he's won a lot of races. Um, so, you know, I think, um, I think he's one behind Gozik actually in the, uh, in the standings. So, you know, I think Otto probably out of all of the, 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 the people, um, I would, I would say that Otto's accomplishments and Otto's career, even though, again, he didn't build, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy won every one of his races in a car that he built himself, um, in the supers and won, um, I think all, but one modified 200 in the car that he built himself and all, um, cause he had, he had his, although it, no, I guess he didn't build his own modifieds, but, um, he built one or two, but I think the ones he won, it may have all originated being built by somebody else, but regardless, um, you know, I think Otto probably in terms of the total package, um, would be the, the closest in, you know, in, in that aspect as sort of the driver, you know, engineer or whatever, but, um, there will never be the likes of Jimmy Champagne again. And so, uh, got a little long winded on that. I hope, you know, I apologize. I hope, hope you don't mind, but I, I just, I could talk about Jimmy for days. Um, so, uh, we'll, again, we'll, we're going to try to get, um, try to get as many of the winners from the weekend as we can over, you know, in the coming shows. Um, and I hope you enjoyed this one. This kind of went a little longer than I'd planned, but uh, we'll try to get Camden back next week as well and um, get his thoughts on the overall weekend. I'd, I'd like to hear him, um, you know, talk about, uh, I know obviously his, his, the, the results weren't what he or his dad would hope for, but um, I'm excited to hear him talk about his dad's run in the, in the race up to that point uh, in the, the SPS part. And then, you know, um, get his thoughts on the qualifying and such. So, uh, we'll have Camden back on hopefully, and we'll be back next week with episode one zero eight. And do you think we're going to get another Jimmy champagne reference in that episode? You think maybe, um, thank you all for listening. Thanks to our sponsors, uh, rich worth and, uh, the folks at JNS Paving, Sean Cathcart, Skip's Fish Fry, go eat fish. Support Skip's Fish Fry, please. Uh, it is very important that you support Skip's Fish Fry. Um, you know, go eat there twice a week. Everybody, please. Uh, 
and support LaGroff's Pub as well. Uh, that is his other place. And, of course, I uh, want to thank Jeff West also. I hated that Westy couldn't be at the Classic. They had a, a motor um, go bad. Motors are, are, you know, necessary evils. They don't warranty them. It's too bad. Um, but he had a problem with that uh, when they were getting ready to, to come. So, um hopefully next year for uh for jeff and bobby but uh, at any rate um hope all of you have a great rest of the labor day week and um as we all get back to work i hope everybody's safe and we'll talk to you next week on inside groove episode 108 until then i'm tom baker so long you've been listening to inside groove powered by ipc indie creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive aerospace and communications industries Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.